All right, if you would, turn in the Bible to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3. We've been there now for a little bit. Zechariah is the second to last minor prophet in the, in the, in the Old Testament. He's a contemporary of Haggai, and so we know that we're dealing with the people of Israel have been in exile, they've been in captivity, but now God has overcome that, now God is pushing back against the enemies, and now they are coming back into their own. They're coming back to their land, the temple's destroyed, they need to rebuild the temple, and they're trying to build their lives back. If you paid attention to the song that Joe and Holly sang, they were kind of speaking to that and applying it to the life of the believer. God has torn me down. Now God's building me back up. God has disciplined me, and now he's uh, restoring me. And this is what's going on in the book of Zechariah. But Zechariah begins with eight visions in a row. It's kind of, kind of weird that we have this, but we can understand it. Eight visions in a row, and today we're at chapter three, and we're gonna see the fourth vision. Let me say that again, what I just said. Zechariah is a prophet speaking for God to the people. That's what prophets do. God gives the prophet a message and he tells the people. But they have been in exile. They've been in captivity to the Babylonians. And now that's ending. God is letting his people now back into their land and they're trying to restore their lives. God is restoring them but there's no temple, it's destroyed, they need to rebuild it. You remember that awesome passage in Haggai from a few weeks ago where God tells them that they need to be building God's house instead of their house, right? They need to get their priorities in order. Yeah, so that's what's going on. And Zechariah is still speaking into that. And so we're now gonna see what, what God says here. And this fourth vision is outstanding. So let's look at Zechariah chapter three. We're gonna read all of the chapter, 10 verses. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch." For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. What a passage. 
We don't dig deep and pray and prepare and try to figure this out. We might be lost, right? So here's what's happening. You have like a court, you know, in the spiritual realm where Satan is accusing the priesthood and God comes to its defense. Joshua, the high priest here, represents the priesthood of God. Remember, a prophet is somebody that gets the message of God and tells it to the people. I've gone over this so many times. I hope you know this by now. But a priest goes in the opposite direction. A person confesses their sins to the priest, and the priest goes and tells it to God. In particular, the high priest does that, but then one time a year, the Day of Atonement, the priest goes into the holies and then confesses the sins to God and offers sacrifice. So what we have here, and see if you're getting the, the, the setup or the context, is the people have been in exile. So they haven't really been functioning the way they're supposed to spiritually. But God is now restoring them. But they get back there and the priests are all a mess. They've been under discipline and captivity and exile. They've been under the reign of Babylon. They've been under the punishment of God. And now they're getting back there and it's like the priests aren't really priests. They're not really doing what priests do. They're not holy like they're supposed to be. Here they're described as filthy garments. The priests aren't really like they're supposed to be. But they're trying to rebuild the temple. They're trying to get back to the proper sacrifices to live in faithful covenant with their God. And it's with that in mind that Satan comes up. It's with that in mind that Satan comes up. Zechariah sees a vision of Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. So the high priest is there and the angel of the Lord is there representing God and Satan is also standing there at his right hand to accuse him. I got three points today. Number one, the accused. Number two, the confused. And number three, the excused. The accused, the confused, and the excused. The accused, right here. Satan comes to accuse him. This is interesting. The Bible tells us this in a couple places, right? Everybody remembers the story of Job, right? where Job is there and seems to be doing well and Satan comes up and wants to attack him and God even recommends or suggests for Satan to try out Job, remember that? And you have this conversation of God Almighty and Satan talking about how Satan's gonna be able to attack Job. God doesn't stop him, he just puts some limits on him. I wanna teach you something. The word Satan means the accuser. Man, that speaks to you right there, doesn't it? The word Satan means the accuser. He accuses people. He puts blame. He beats you down. He wants to mess you up. He wants to hurt you and bother you and make you feel bad. He wants to convict you. He wants you to feel worse than you are. He accuses you. He wants guilt and shame to be your identity. He is the accuser. And it says there, so, so right there when it says Satan, that, that means the accuser. And guess what he's there to do? He's there to accuse. But before he says anything, look who steps up, cuts him off. The Lord said to Satan, 
the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Meaning, the judgment of God to send them into exile and captivity was the, was the fire, and the priesthood was even there, but now they're being restored, and so like one of the little firebrands is plucked out of the judgment, and they're working to be restored, and now God's back here with his high priest, and Satan's trying to accuse him. And we can imagine all sorts of things that Satan may be saying to him. Yeah, you really do look like a religious leader. You're all filthy there. You don't look like anything that the Bible says you're to look like. Your outfit's, your outfit's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, in the book of Leviticus, it tells us that the, the priest is to wear a nice, clean turban. He's a mess. His are filthy, and he's just accusing him. Yes, yeah, some priest that you are, you're supposed to offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of, of sins. You don't even have a temple. You've not even been doing that. You're all talk. You're all show. Satan could go on and on. We don't know all the specific sins that he's called up in, but he's there to accuse. But God comes to his defense. And when God comes to his defense, God starts addressing the things that he would be accused of. Look at this. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. So it's like Satan has something to say to them because they have been disobedient, because they are rightly being punished by God. Satan has some things that he can say, but God steps in and speaks up and says, hey, I've chosen them, so rebuke you, Satan. Verse three, now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I've taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And then from there it gets into the turban. So we see here that Satan is accusing the high priest based off of what he was, or maybe what he is coming out of. And God speaks in and speaks to what he's becoming. You see that? And this is a whole world of uh, light bulbs turning on. This is a whole world of doors open. It's a whole world of understanding because is not this the life that you and I are all living right in the midst of accusation? We have a whole brain full of thoughts of the way we view ourselves of what we were or what we are, and yet we struggle to hear what God says we are becoming, and we listen to the accuser. How can I be a Christian if I've done that? How can I be a lover of God or a child of God if I still struggle with this? And we tend to think this way, and the Bible is wanting us to see right here in Zechariah 3 that Satan, the accuser, loves to remind us of all of our flaws. Satan, the accuser, loves to try to make us feel guilty of the things that are beating us down, of the things that are in our past, or perhaps even the things that we're struggling with right now. 
Well, when we start talking about the things that Satan accuses us of, then you and I have to be able to identify things that God is convicting us of and things that Satan is wrongly or inaccurately accusing us of. So you have to be able to know truth. You have to be able to understand the gospel to know the difference between a good, healthy conviction from God and an unhealthy accusation from Satan. Yes, it's true that the high priest here is filthy. Yes, it's true that he needs to be restored. Yes, it's true they need to get back into the proper sacrificial system. Yes, it's true that they need to rebuild the temple. Yes, all those things are true. But the accusations of Satan, or rather, who we are and what we've done, are not to be the identity of the believer. The believer's identity is wrapped up in God and what God's done and what God says about you. Satan can have all of the accusations he wants, and once we hear them, we'll hear him out. We'll give him a second, but we need to say, yes, but what does God say? And in the midst of Satan trying to, he speaks up right here, God does, and says, rebuke you, Satan, and then he goes on to say, I'm about to restore them. You're right, he is filthy. You're right, he, is, he doesn't look like a priest. You are, he, you're right, Satan, he's not functioning the way he's supposed to. You're right, my people are a mess right now. But guess who put them in that position because of their disobedience? Me. Guess who knows how to father his children, God says? I do. Guess who knows how to be a savior of those he's saving? I do, God says. So watch this. Give him some new garments, take those off. Give him a new turban, put that on. I am restoring him. And so what God wants us to understand is that the way he identifies his people is so much stronger over and above the accusations that Satan has. Martin Luther once said that even the devil is God's devil. It's a great quote. Even the devil is God's devil. It is not this uh, spiritual battle going on in the cosmos where God and Satan are fighting and let's see who wins. That is not true. The Bible gives us nothing like that. The Bible shows us of a God who is so altogether complete and competent and content in himself. God is not bothered or shaken by anything. He is fine. And the devil is there working. And anything that the devil is doing, God has to allow him. Though Martin Luther also said that the devil is on a leash. He can only do as much as God would allow him to do. And we see the power of God overcoming what the devil is doing time and time again. If... Joshua, the high priest here, does not want to listen to God, that he is going to melt down in discouragement and depression and false identity based off the accusations of the devil. And I wonder, could that be you? Could you be somebody who has not heard what God says about the identity of the believer in Christ? Are you thinking more about yourself based off what you see everybody else doing? Are you comparing yourself to everybody around you and then allowing the devil to just remind you how much of a failure you are? All the other families are better families than us. Everybody else is better with their money than I am. They're happier than we are. Do you get to listening to all of those accusations from God, from Satan, and fail to remember what God says about you? Do you allow Satan to have the last word into your identity instead of God? Now, the neat thing about this is just as soon as Satan stands up to accuse, God speaks up and just speaks right into it, and we really don't hear Satan saying anything here. Now, we know that the issue is that the priest doesn't look like a priest, and a priest isn't doing what priests do, but God is there, and God is speaking, and so what we see is that in God restoring his people, he's also restoring the priesthood. And you and I are to know that in the story of history, 
even with all of the punishment that God sent, God restored his people. God has a plan for what he's doing. The temple's going to be rebuilt. While it looks like here that things aren't good, their sin has messed them up, Satan's getting a foothold, right? Satan's on the march, right? We see here that God says no. So you and I are to understand that Satan is an accuser. And by our faith in Christ and the forgiveness of sins that comes through the work of Christ on the cross, you and I are to know, we are to speak boldly, we are to believe that the accusations of Satan do not define us. They may be true, they may be lies. Whether it's the truth that Satan's saying about us, if you're a liar and he's calling you a liar, then he's right. That does not have to define you. God forgives the sins of liars because of Jesus dying on the cross. If you're arrogant and the devil keeps telling you that you're arrogant, he's telling the truth. But God forgives arrogant people. And so as we see the accuser here, Satan the accuser, here to accuse Joshua the high priest, you and I are to learn, I know the devil is accused. You and I are to grow strong in the voice of God, the truth of God, so the accusations of Satan do not define us. We are to be those people who walk in discernment. Discernment's a big Bible word. We are to be those people who walk in discernment. We understand what is something from Satan, I ought not to listen to that. Certain from God, I need, to, I need to remind myself of that. We're to grow strong in an identity in Christ, and we are to become less and less of an ear toward the accusations of Satan. Believers are sinful people that have failed in this capacity or that capacity, yet we are forgiven by God. We are forgiven by God. Our strength is never found in us and in our obedience. Our strength is found in Jesus and in his obedience. The accusations of Satan want us to put our attention on us, and the identity of God's children wants us to put our identity on Jesus. Thankfully, when the accuser comes to accuse, God steps up. Number one, the accused. Number two, the confused. And here's what I mean. The confusion that comes to all involved when the people of God don't look like the people of God. Even Joshua himself is probably confused. That's why we hear about the accuser. When the people of God are disobedient to God, it's confusing all the way around. You ever had somebody that you know that went to church or used to go to church or kind of goes to church and you asked a friend of those, are they Christians? And they say, well, they say they are. All we're meaning is that we're confused about it, right? They say they are, but I don't, I don't really know if they are. There's a lot of things in their life that make me think that they are and there's a lot of things in their life that make me think that they aren't. I, I really don't know, right? And so it is here with Joshua the high priest. Can you imagine me and Joshua? He's been out of his land, out of his practice, under the pagan Babylonians, in captivity and exile, and he's supposed to be a called out high priest that helps people get forgiveness from God Almighty, right? He's not been doing any of it. And Satan comes up to accuse him of that. He's thinking, I don't know who I am anymore. It's confusing. Well, what do you think the Babylonians thought about God when they were having all this power over him? Yeah, you sure, you sure are God's people. It really looks like it. He's helping you out a lot right now, right? You remember what they were saying to Jesus on the cross beside him? You remember when Jesus hung there on the cross, humble and defeated, it seemed? 
crying out, thirsty, bleeding, suffering, dying. And the people beside him were saying things like, yeah, you really are a savior, Jesus. Nice one. If you were, why wouldn't you get down and save us? You see how that works? When it doesn't look like you think it's supposed to look like, there's confusion all around. You remember the people that were saying, finally, we'll get rid of Jesus and we'll never have to think about God and our sins again. You ever, know, ever known somebody who was a Christian or a churchgoer, but they were just completely living in sin? They were mean as can be. They were fake as can be. They were a liar. And so you just thought, man, I don't, I don't know what to make of this. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of them, there's no way they can be that way. You ever seen somebody that just lived so sinful and yet they kept going to church and you thought, how do they do that? It's confusing. It's confusing. It's a true story. Just this week, I had a conversation with a young man that lives here in Fairdale. And he said to me, you know, I, did, I thought I was a believer. He said, but I, I sinned. I sinned really bad. I made some bad mistakes. I started feeling so guilty, then I started thinking that I wasn't a believer. And he said, now, I'm telling y'all the truth, he said, now, I feel so depressed that I don't think I am a believer. You see how that works? He's confused about himself, not even talking about what anybody else thinks about him. He's just confused in his own self. Well, the Satan wants him to think he's not a believer, right? And I don't know if he is. But if he is a believer, here's what he needs to hear. Guess who you have to be in order for God to save you? Or guess what you have to be in order for God to save you? A sinner. So hey man, you're perfect candidate for this. Did you sin against God? Yes. Did Jesus die for sins? Yes. Right, do you believe in him? Yes. Do you wanna repent and ask him to forgive you? I don't know what he would say to that, but if he did say yes, then okay, you can be a believer. But you see how it gets so confusing even in your own mind when you start listening to the accusations of Satan and not listening to the identity that we're supposed to get through God? No matter how big or bad you've been, the love of God can overcome your sins through what Christ has done. But it does get confusing. When you see a high priest in filthy garments not doing the work of the priesthood, you would think, he's not a priest. until God speaks up and restores him. So church, we need to be a people who understand there are always going to be some confusing scenarios. Until we get to heaven, you're gonna have people that are too far this way, too far that way. There are gonna be a lot of blurry lines and muddy water in trying to see clearly on is somebody faithful to God and his truth. And the way we find answers or clarity in the midst of confusion is to go back to what God says. If you're a sinner, it doesn't mean you're not a believer. If you're a sinner, if you're a sinner that repents of your sins, you're a believer. If you're a sinner that does not repent of your sins, you're not a believer. That's what the Bible teaches us. If you think you're a worshiper of God, but you're listening to the accusations because of the sins in your life, and yet you don't want to ask God for forgiveness or believe that Jesus died for them, then you must not be a believer. But if you're a believer that hears the accusations of Satan, feels conviction of that, runs to Christ for his mercy, knowing that he does have enough mercy for you, regardless of how many sins, then you must be a believer. 
And if you don't allow the truth to speak into the confusing situations, then we stay confused. And if we're confused forever, then maybe we are confused. But when we allow the truth of God to speak into our confused identities, clarity comes. Let me remind you yet again that everybody in this room is a mess. Some are a little more messy this way and some are a little bit more messy this way. We're all a mess. We all have identity issues. Every one of us think, man, I, I, I thought I was being a good dad and I failed again. Every one of us think, man, I should have been more loving to my neighbor and I really just dropped the ball again. Every one of us have a battle going on in our minds to seek truth and purity and be kind. Every one of us are judgmental at times when we're at the store or in line at the store or we're dealing with difficult situations in life. We're all struggling. And the only answer to it at all is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to die on the cross for our sins. And when you believe that, the truth of what God says speaks into all of the confusion. And so we have Satan, the accuser. We have Joshua, the high priest, as the accused. When you have a high priest that's filthy and he's not really practicing what the priest is supposed to do, you have confusion. So now we get finally the accused, the confused, but the excused. In the first five verses, we have, we have God restoring the high priest. So the high priest can do what high priests do. Serve God in the temple work, helping people stay in good, healthy, faithful relationship with God. But the high priest, listen to me, is not the savior. We need a high priest forever. So look what verse six says. So while Joshua's being restored from the accusations and the captivity, this happens, verse six. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua. Isn't that good? God turns to Joshua, who is right beside Satan. Just picture this. Satan is right beside Joshua, accusing him, and God turns to him to solemnly assure him. Thus says the Lord of hosts. If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. What he says there is, you can be a priest. You can be my priest. You can be the high priest. You can serve in my work if you stay faithful to it. Verse eight, hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Man. Sometimes we have signs and the Bible doesn't tell us it's a sign. And sometimes we have signs and the Bible tells us that it is a sign and it is easy to recognize. Listen, Joshua, you and your friends aren't really the main thing. Salvation doesn't hinge on your obedience. People being right with God isn't based on how good of a priest you are. I would never put that much pressure on my people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There's a high priest that is forever. Look what he says. You're a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. 
If you've never read the Bible before, you've never been in church much, then you think the branch, this just got more confusing than ever. What's he talking about? Is he talking about priests and temples and restorations? Or is he talking about trees and horticulture with the branch, right? Here's what the branch is. The branch is the shoot coming off of the line of David to be the king forever. The Bible talks about that all the time in the prophets. You go to Isaiah 4, he talks about it. You go to Isaiah 11, he talks about it. The Bible says that King David would have a son on the throne forever, that there would be a king after David forever. But you know what it calls him? The branch. Growing off the shoot, right? The shoot coming out off the plant. It would be the branch. Jesus is the branch under David, under Jesse, that would be there forever. And so while he's restoring Joshua to the priesthood, meaning that the people of Israel are about to get things back together and start being the people of God again, he reminds them, you're not really the answer. You're not really the saving one. The saving one is the branch. You're just a sign. I will bring my servant the branch. When you hear my servant, you're also reminded of the Savior. For Isaiah refers to Jesus as the servant, the suffering servant. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53. You remember the suffering servant? It's Isaiah telling us about Jesus. And right here in Zechariah, God speaks up as he's restoring the priesthood and reminds Joshua and everybody else that would ever read this and reminds the people of Israel, my servant, the branch, is coming awesome. This is all about Jesus. Verse 9, for behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord, <coughs> declares the Lord of hosts. Look what it says. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. God is speaking toward a removal of sin that is a once and for all. The priesthood doesn't do that. The priesthood has to keep going, keep doing it over and over again in order for the people to keep being reminded of their sins and keep looking to the Savior for the forgiveness. But in Jesus, as Hebrews tells us, he offered up himself once and for all to sacrifice himself for us for the forgiveness of all the sins. And God is right here speaking to the servant, to the branch, who would come and remove the sins of the world on a single day. Now, I'll be honest with you, and I was studying. When it says there a single stone with seven eyes and all of that, that may be referring to Jesus as the cornerstone, but it also may not. I'm not sure what that means. But I do know that when he starts talking about the removal of sin one single time, he's referring to the work of Christ dying on the cross as the savior of the world. So that's what I mean by the excuse. The word excuse means to pardon. It means to offer forgiveness. That's what it means. I excused you when your kids missed school because they had to go to the doctor. The school calls it an excused absence, right? You're okay to miss in that way. And the Bible describes here God doing something where he would remove our sins. Satan's there to accuse. A dirty believer is confusing. But the message of God is that he excuses our sins through the work that Christ will do. We have the accused, 
We have the confused as we look, try to sort that out. And then we have the excused. Do you understand that it doesn't, now it doesn't tell us what Satan would say. I just had to guess what he would say. But do you understand that if God says that in verse nine, then it doesn't matter what Satan could have accused him of. Do you understand that? Do you understand that for yourself? I don't know what Satan's accusing you of. He may have a big, long list. You may literally think, I don't know how I'm gonna make it another day. It doesn't matter what Satan accuses you of, whether he's right or whether he's wrong. If God says, I will remove the iniquity, and you know that that's why Christ died, if you will trust in Christ, the excusing of your sin is more important than the accusing of your sin. That's the good news. That's the love of God. And when you come to know that, look what verse 10 says. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and his fig tree. If God has really excused your sin, you're gonna want your neighbor to know it too. What a passage. The accusing, the confusing, and the excusing. Church, Christianity is really a battle for you to have the proper identity. It really is. Christianity is really a battle for you to have the proper identity, for you to not listen to what the world says, don't listen to what you're telling yourself, don't listen to the accusations of Satan, but rather be a follower, be an obedient follower to what God says. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about who I am? And then believe it, believe it, believe it. And the Bible doesn't say that you're good. The Bible says you're bad. The Bible doesn't say that you're obedient. The Bible says that you're disobedient, right? And the Bible doesn't say that you're not loved. The Bible says that you are loved even though you're disobedient. But the Bible says that in that love from God, he forgives you of your sins and sees you clothed in the beauty and glory and righteousness of Jesus. And so who we are are people who have the identity of Christ, not wrapped up in our highs or our lows, not wrapped up in our obedience or our disobedience, but wrapped up in Christ. May God empower us to have that identity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Zechariah chapter three, the fourth vision. God, thank you that Satan is an accuser and we can recognize him differently than what you are. May we know the difference between his voice and yours and may we be excused of our sins. Father, we thank you today that we see Noah get baptized. And we pray, God, that there will be many more who are ready to follow you. Father, do this work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we sing our